Good morning, good morning. Oh, how y'all doing? Welcome to the mission this morning. Welcome to you online that are joining us this morning. Wish you could be here in the room with us. Oh, take a deep breath. Thank you, team, for that uh, wonderful time of adoration and honoring our Lord. And just as a congregation, that's what we miss when we're not together, right, is worshiping him together. So I love that, and I thank you for being here to participate. So I get the honor of introducing, um, who are you? <laughs> Chris and Kathy, who have been dear friends of our family and this mission family for, goodness sakes, almost 30 years, like 26, 25, 26. Woo. That's when you know you have a good friend, when they stick around <laughs> more than just a season, you know what I mean? I was thinking about them this morning, and I heard in my spirit, I, I think it was Holy Spirit, he said, a steadfast friend is better than gold. And it kind of took, I'm like, what? <laughs> and i like, I know that's true, but um, I felt like he was wanting to teach me something, you know? And um, so his steadfast friend is better than gold, and I said, well, I, I believe that, and I know that's true, but in what way? And I just started having this conversation with Holy Spirit. He goes, well, a pile of gold, you can't call it up when you're in your darkest day. It doesn't run to your door and bring you comfort and love when you just need somebody to help you breathe, right? A pile of gold ain't going to do that. But also a pile of gold can't share in your most fun times either, I mean, it's sometimes nice to have a little pile of gold to have some fun, but, but you know, when, when I'm saying between friends, like, just for example, Kathy was going through a bit of a challenging season, and she was just on my heart a lot. So I text Chris one day, and I said, hey, I'm just thinking about you guys, and how's Kathy doing? And he texts me back. Oh, my gosh, it's one of those forever in my text keep places. He says, well, she's actually been out hunting bear." And I'm like, and I'm trying to be cool in the text, like, really? <laughs> you know? And he goes, yeah, she, she killed one with a, with a bow. And so I text back, okay, so I guess she's doing, she's doing okay. <laughs> she just killed a bear with a bow, so just checking in, just seeing how she's doing. <laughs> so... I just find that it's great when you have dear friends that are steadfast friends. It's, it really doesn't matter whether you're in a dark night of the soul, struggling, having a great day, killing a bear, um, right? It, having friends is just, there's nothing like it. And so we just honor you guys and thank you so much for being here. Welcome, men. Kathy has a Davidic anointing. <laughs> Kills lions and bears. And uh, I don't know what I have. Something. Still trying to figure it out. But uh, how many of you were here yesterday? 
we had a really good kind of, I don't know, family talk kind of time and minister to some folks. And then I got a chance to be with the leaders last night. That was a lot of fun, too. We, uh, we had to endure a very long-winded preacher in like a three-hour meeting last night, something like that. It was fun, though. Um, I want to give away a couple books. This is a, my newest book called Uprising, the Epic Battle for the Most Fatherless Generation in History. And this is about the restoration of fatherhood, the Malachi Mandate, where Elijah, he, Malachi prophesied in the last days, I'll send Elijah the prophet, and he'll restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters, and the hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. And we live in the most fatherless generation in at least American history in which our fathers are alive but not home. So this is about the restoration of fatherhood. It's not just a book for men. But I did write it primarily for men. I wrote a book for women called Fashion to Rain. So I thought I should do a good deed, make friends with the guys too. Would anyone like this book? Awesome. You can buy that back. Um, why don't we give this to that gentleman right there. Could, would you come and get it or please? Thank you so much. And then uh, this is uh, my, wife, my wife's uh, first book only book right now, The Good, The God, and The Ugly, The Inside Story of a Supernatural Family. This is actually her rendition of how our supernatural family was. I, I, she told the story yesterday, but I, I actually did the first edit on this book. So I'm editing the chapters as she finishes them, and I'm like, so finally but we get to like the sixth chapter or something, and I said, you know, that's not how these stories happen. She's like, yeah, they are. She said, well, no, I have them different in, another, in other books. And she says, you need to get those back and edit them. <laughs> so this is our supernatural family, according to Kathy. Uh, anybody have an anniversary today? Do uh, you have an anniversary today? Did anybody have an anniversary today? A, a birthday? A birthday? Okay, great. Right here. Awesome. Um, why don't you grab a hand? Let's pray for a moment. You can get a date this way, too, if you squeeze the hand of the person next to you. I have several students who got married this way. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing this morning. Thank you for the, the beauty and the splendor and the glory of worship today. Being able to experience your presence in another dimension, in another, another sense of your divine call in our lives. And I, I pray today to inspire people and to, um, to really open up doors of new, new avenues of, of connection. Amen. Um, I want to talk about uh, living a life of radical faith. And uh, I, I shared a little bit of this yesterday, so um, I bear, please bear a little bit uh, with me as far as the repeat goes. But, I, I, you know, when we were going through COVID, I'm sure everybody was struggling on, on some level. And, um, you know, we, we, we Bethel, were um, in a huge struggle, like pretty much everybody else, just maybe in a bigger way because of the size of our, we have 800 employees and we have all these ministries and all this crazy, crazy stuff in um, you know, in one month we lost, we went from 2,600 students to 1,600 students in one month. And, um, and we got, you know, the OSHA came in and, and cited us three times for, uh, I don't know, for things they said we did wrong. And we were, we were meeting in a tent with no 
sides on it because it was illegal to have sides on your tent. <laughs> I just went on and on, and you know, we were, people were so hungry. The tents held about 800, 900 people. We continually had 15 to 1,600 people standing in the rain with umbrellas, and we were, uh, Bill and I, in the wintertime, preached in blankets because it was so cold out there. Um, and, and then there was just, uh, you know, on top of the COVID situation, you know, we had Benny who, who uh, was diagnosed with four-stage cancer and uh, lived 17 months very, very sick. And, and we had Eric and Candace who were, they're our senior pastors. Um, the day that, di- that she received the diagnosis, Eric and Candace flew out that day to plant their own church. Obviously, nobody knew that was good. Those dates would coincide. And, and, you know, and I could go on and on. And then all the side effects of all those things, right? Because you have, I, I know that, I know you're not supposed to talk about this in church, but it, you actually pay people to be on staff. So, you know, our budget's about $70 million. And uh, when you cancel, you know, nine services a Sunday, and you do that for 18 months, it has a slight effect on the finances, and we have uh, we have about thirty two events a year, and you cancel all the events. And I mean, it's pretty. It's just a little stressful. And at one time, we had five hundred people out, five hundred staff out with COVID, or you know, you had to um, quarantine people who were with them. So our teams just rotated in and out. It's like you needed three times the size of a team just to get enough people to do things like film and be on staff. <laughs> So, you know, all of that led to, uh, Bill was pretty much out with Benny, so I didn't see him very much, and we were just trying to slug our way out of this crazy season. Uh, I, I'm, um, I was uh, 65 at the time, and I, I would say that old people, old leaders have the advantage of um, being on the battlefield long enough, there's very few things you haven't seen. Um, or help someone else with. Like, not necessarily it happened in your life, but y- you help other people with it. And yet, when, when COVID hit, like, I have to say, I had no idea what to do. Like, my leadership skills did not help us in COVID. I didn't know what to do. Every day, you know, you had to have, like, you had a plan for one day, not two, because it changed every day. Uh, at least in our, in our county, it did. And so, you know, you're like, okay, we're going to do school today, and then the color changes, and all of a sudden, you know, we get a call from the, uh, from the health department that says, you guys can't meet, you know, Friday's the last day you guys can meet, and we don't know when you're going to be able to meet again, and that's just a crazy life. And I, you know, and I uh, have to say that I haven't had a lot of anxiety in my, in my life um, for the last 14 years. But I just woke up every morning anxious. And, um, and fighting off a level of, uh, I don't want to say depression, but uh, d- deep discouragement. And so for like two weeks, during the first two weeks of COVID, it felt like I had a spirit of dread on me. And I'm trying to give hope to our team. And so, you know, I just... Uh, I said, man, desperate times call for desperate measures. Something has to change here. And so I started getting up an hour earlier. And um, just laying in the bathtub, connecting with the Lord, 
praying and trying to find hope. And I found that that helped, but it didn't cure it. So I started getting up two hours earlier. Not because I'm holy or anything like that, just because I'm super desperate. And then three hours earlier. And so pretty soon I'm getting up at like five in the morning. And it's not even like I have to set my alarm clock. It's like I wake up and I'm like, I need to get praying because this is not good. Oh, I didn't tell you about my beautiful prophetic word for Donald Trump too. That was all. (laughs) Might as well just throw it all in, do it all at once, you know. So, um, you know, so it was a, honestly, it was really challenging times to say the very least. It reminds me of when my grandparents talked about living during the Depression. My grandfather spoke of being in line for four hours early in the morning for work and then getting to be the last guy who didn't get picked. And then they have to go the next day. And the things they did and how they recycled their tires and how they, you know, ate together in family meals because there wasn't enough food. And, you know, it's like you just listen to those stories and you're like, I know nothing about that, you know, to this to the day my grandmother died, she hid money in her mattress because they didn't trust banks because of the Depression. and They were incredibly frugal. I remember, we kind of laugh about it all the time now because if, if the bread got mold on it, my grandmother would just cut the mold piece off and toasted the bread and we ate that. You know? <laughs> Think twice about it. You know? And my grandmother would say, it's penicillin, don't worry about that. You know, these were like, these were desperate times, and you figure out how to survive in desperate times, you know. And I, in the middle of of, uh, that season, I was like, oh, this is like, like I will tell my great-grandchildren of this story that we lived through and how we we managed the days. But um, the other thing that happened is, and probably the hardest thing that happened, oh, also we throw, throw Black Lives Matter in there. We have 36 staff who are black, who were, some of them couldn't come out of their homes when George Floyd was murdered. And we're helping, trying to deal with them, and then they decided that Bethel was racist, a bunch of them, and we met with them six times, and the first three times were yelling at us that I was racist. I'm like, all right, just, let's just make sure we get everything in one season. And uh, it was horrible. It was really hard. And I, I found that um, I, I didn't realize it till later. But um, I, I'm a pretty, uh, you guys, I've been coming here a long time. Like, you guys know me. Like, I'm a very authentic person. I say what's on my mind. And I am not afraid to offend people. My, my wife sits on the front row sometimes when I feel like I have something to say, and she's like, oh, oh God, he's going to say that. Because obviously my wife is a beautiful diplomat, and she's the kindest person, and she married me, which is, I got her when she was 12, so if you want to know how it worked, you know? But, you know, there was, like, you couldn't do anything right. We had the anti-vax people in our church, you know, like crusading. We had the pro-vax people, like three of our staff are doctors, three of our board are doctors. So they were the pro-vax people and we had the anti-vax people and anti-mask people and the pro-max people, mass people. And 
the government's trying to close our church and the, you know, I'm, I'm just like, we have a lot of people. And, and like you guys, we, we draw a diverse crowd because we're not a political movement. We're a kingdom movement. So we have Democrats in our church and Republicans in our church, and, we have, and we're proud of it. Like, you know, like people who don't agree sit right next to each other because they agree on loving Jesus. And so, and, and that's the beauty of the church, really, right? And it, it, it doesn't mean that we have to agree. And so, but I'm, people from the outside, they don't get that because they're like, well, you're a Republican church. You're in a, it's like we have, uh, well, you know, right now, right now we have people from about 80 nations. We have people from communist China. Who, who don't even know about Democratic Republic or Democrats or Republicans. They, all they know is communism. We have people from all over the world, about, about 80 nations in our church right now. So we're not even Democrat and Republican. We're people who come from parliamentary law, communist rule, India. I don't even know what you call all that, those, those guys, you know. I mean, governmentally, I'm not sure how, what their government's like, but I mean, it's people from all different governments and all different walks of life. But... Um, and, and the beauty of it is that if you've been to Bethel, um, you know for 25 years, our people flow really well. They get along, and they've learned how to have a brain, think for themselves, and allow other people to think for themselves, too. And it's okay. That I, it's, not, um, it's not guilt by association. So I can be friends with you and not go, oh, you believe in abortion because they do. It's like, no, we just, we're just love Jesus together and... So, but what happened, I'm a really long introduction, sorry. <laughs> what happened was that you couldn't make, all of a sudden, these different diverse groups of people had very strong opinions about what we should do. Suddenly, the people who all flowed together did not flow well together. And, and, and then I'm, I'm including our city, who typically loves us, who all of a sudden, there was all criticism, like Bethel students are the ones who brought the virus to Reading, and it, was, it just got insane. Like the, and we were in the paper all the time because we were, you know, a good read. <laughs> then I did a wedding for my grandson, and I was in the paper five times in, in seven days for doing a COVID wedding. It's just crazy. And what happened to me is I began to, I began to live to not offend people. I began to live in defense. Like, watch what you say. Be careful how you live. And I was just like, the goal of my day was to get through the day with, without hurting anyone. And I didn't know I was doing that. But there was so much cr- criticism that I just found myself living in defense. Always in defense. Watch what you say. Double check what you're saying, people are offended for the slightest thing. You know, we just post on social media or you don't post on social media. How come you didn't post about, you didn't say anything about that? It's like you post and they're like, how come you waited so long? You know, it's just like, whatever. And, um, and I, found, I found the Lord, uh, as we emerged out of that season, I shared the story a little bit yesterday, but I had this uh, uh, vision of a, a man walking a, a lion on a leash. And, uh, and I realized in the, in, the, in the vision that was actually me. I was the lion. And the Lord said, you've been domesticated, and it's time for you to be unleashed. Amen. And then uh, it was really troubling when I realized that the vision 
like I saw the lion and it was on a leash and I thought it was the Lord and the Lord's like, no, it's you. You're the lion on the leash. You domesticated yourself. And then I saw this beautiful eagle in a golden cage and in the, in the it was actually a dream. In the dream, I was bragging about the beauty of the cage. And the Lord said, you weren't born to live in a beautiful cage. You were, that, that cage is not creating safety for you. It's creating bondage. And it's time for you to leave the cage. And I, in the, in the dream, I was bragging about how beautiful the cage was. And I realized, and like, I thought that cage was protecting me. And yet that cage was captive. It had captured me. It, had, it wasn't protecting me. It was holding me in bondage. And the Lord began to talk to me. I, I shared a piece of this yesterday. But the Lord began to talk to me about doing the deeds I did at first and living by faith. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that in 1 Timothy 6.12. These verses are really meaningful to me. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life with which you were called. And I, I, I like this one line for me. Uh, fight the good fight of faith. And I realized that faith is a fight. You know, when, you're, when somebody is sick or you have a big problem, you need a bunch of money or what, whatever, you know, just all the things that seem, they're bigger than your ability to fix them. The easiest thing to do is just worry. <laughs> right? But faith is a fight. It, like, it is natural and normal for me to... Um, can I say, be in a battle to believe that God's going to solve that problem for me. But I am called to the fight. I love this T.D. Jakes quote. It's probably what, uh, the quote I've uh, shared the most in the last six months. T.D. Jakes said, God didn't send Goliath to, to David to kill him. He sent him to reveal him. God didn't send David, God didn't send Goliath to David to kill him. He sent him to reveal him. And I was thinking about, and you know, the only way T.G. Jakes, T.G. Jakes is the only guy I could preach like, he's amazing. But he was talking about how David was anointed king in 1 Samuel 14, but he didn't become king till 17 years later, or some people say 14 years later. But the point is, is that nobody thought of David as a king. As a matter of fact, when Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint a king, Jesse, his father, didn't even invite him to the inauguration. And when, he, when David, when, when Samuel goes through all seven sons and can't find a king and says to, the, says to Jesse, is, do you have anybody else? Is these all their sons? He goes, oh, we got one more son. He's, he's with the sheep. And it says when he called to David, David came running. It said that David was redheaded and ruddy. This is the Hebrew. He was redheaded and ruddy. Let me just be clear. He didn't look like a king. And the Lord goes, anoint him king. Uh, okay, where am I going? I'm just pointing out that nobody, including his father, saw him as a king until he killed Goliath. Amen. And then somebody goes, there's a king in there. You remember the women saying, David, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Suddenly, the, him beating his trial, him emerging out of the trial victorious, caused the people to see what was always on him. I don't know if you know where I'm going. I'm pointing out that trials aren't sent to kill you. They're sent to reveal you. You think that the trial you're in is there to kill you. 
And the Lord's like, no, no, I sent the trial to reveal to everyone what I'm already doing in you. And I, I, I just, uh, listen, i got to tell you, I hate the book of Job. I never read it. <laughs> I know it turns out good at the end, so I usually read the last couple chapters. <laughs> I really don't like the book of Job. Like, I don't want to think about, you know, where you're going to go through something, but you're going to end up with double. I'm like, I just like what I have now. I'm good. But there's this phrase in the book of Job. Jesus, uh, God, likely Jesus, God's talking to Satan. And he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I hate that line. (laughs) I'm just like, have you considered my servant Chris? It's like, Chris has enough problems without you adding the devil to my day. (laughs) Have you considered my servant Job? And I don't know about you, I, I actually, I'm serious, I hate that line. It feels like God's like, come over here and bother Job. And God goes on to say, he's the most faithful. He's the best guy I got. And, I, and then I think about this line, I'm going to put it together for you in just a minute, so don't worry about it, it doesn't seem to make sense. But in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, it says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't like that either. Because I'm praying, Matthew 6, you know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I'm like, that Lord, I, I'm like, Lord, you're, this is incongruent with your own prayer you told us to pray. Maybe Jesus is like, this is the prayer you should pray after I went through that. It wasn't fun, you know? But I'm like, have you thought about that? Like, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, that, that's, that's not a problem. Because, okay, Holy Spirit led him there, and the devil meets him there. No, the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for the purpose of. Have you considered my servant Job? You're like, where are you going? The Lord did not tell the devil to consider his servant Job so Job would lose, but so Job would win. The Lord did not the Holy Spirit did not lure or lead Jesus into the wilderness and then have him fast for 40 days and be completely weak and hungry so that the devil would beat him. But he knew the devil would not attack him until he was weak. So he creates weakness, draws him into the battle, and then defeats him on his own turf. And it says, he went into the wilderness led by the Spirit, and Luke records, and he left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus has no public ministry till he exits the wilderness. And what I'm getting at is this, is that your wilderness is not sent to destroy you. It is sent to reveal you. Like you think something's going wrong, God's like, something's going right. You're like, the devil came to my house, to, to, he's trying to kill me. And it's like, no, the devil came to your house because the Lord goes, have you considered my servant Mary? And the Lord's like, you, when you're weak, I'm strong. And your strength is perfected in my weakness. So when I lure the devil to your house, it's not to beat you. It's for you to beat him. Are you with me? So many, many of us are in this faith fight, and we're like, something's going wrong. And the Lord's like, no, no, no. Something is going right. The Lord 
is defeating your enemies. And then when you get done, you get to eat. Psalms 23, right? You go through the valley of shadow of death and you end up at the table of the Lord while the enemy watches you. Listen, if you're overly demon conscious, you're not hungry. Because you're like, the devil's even after me when I'm feasting. The Lord's like, no, no. He has to be punished by watching you in peace. You're not getting this, but... And, and so I felt the Lord say to me, you went through this COVID season. You think was sent there to destroy you, but I sent it there to reveal you, to reveal them what I do in my people in desperate times. Be rise in desperate times. Like we were actually made for trouble. <laughs> Arise and shine for your light has come. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, you're the... Light of the world. You don't even know the verses. you got to memorize these. You're the light of the world. Well, listen, I don't know. Nobody grabs a light. Nobody grabs a flashlight at midday. Like you were made for darkness. <laughs> like, I don't know why you're complaining about the darkness. This is what you were created for. Like we shine in darkness. Like when it's not dark, no one can see our light shining, right? Like it's true. Like we're, we're, we're shining, but no one can see it. And no one appreciates it. But during dark times, what happens is we're the only ones still shining. This is a good preaching. So the Lord said to me, I want you to do the deeds you did at first. Now, I know the, the first part of that is you've lost your first love. But he didn't say that to me. He didn't say you lost your first love. He just said, I want you to go back and do the deeds you did at first. So do the deeds I did at first, like faith deeds. I'm talking about faith deeds. Like you live by faith before COVID and even all the way back, like way back. Like you live by faith. Then something happened in COVID and you decided to live. You got domesticated to live to please people instead of live to be faithful to your call as both a leader, a prophet, a father, great, and everything else we are. So I'm like, all right, what are the deeds I did at first? And I, I would, this is what I was doing three hours in the morning. I, I would lay in the bathtub because that's where the Lord meets me the most often. <laughs> He's attracted to water. And I would just think about the deeds that we did at first. The things God did through us at first. And I, I remember this one, one of, my, one of my favorite stories lately that I didn't actually remember I haven't told these stories for years. But um, Kathy and I had uh, an auto repair shop. We actually had three auto repair shops. And I, I felt one day, I, was, I used to go into my shop early, and I would just be there like a half an hour early and just lay down on the floor and pray. And I felt the Lord give me this um, word to open an auto parts store. At three repair shops, open an auto parts store. So the Lord said, I want you to open an auto parts store. And I'm like, that's awesome. All I need is some money. <laughs> See, the Lord doesn't understand basic economics. <laughs> he struggles with the concept of logic and reason. So I said to the Lord, Lord, I just need some money. He said, no, you don't need money. You just need me. I'm going, I can know I need you. Well, let me clear. Like, I want you more than money, but I want money also. 
And the Lord said, no, you don't need money. You just need to trust me. I'm like, okay, so how am I going to start an auto parts store with no money? Like, I have no money. And he said, well, what I want you to do is I want you to buy uniforms, and I'm going to give you the sizes, (laughs) two sizes. I want you to buy uniforms, and then I want you to hire people that fit in those uniforms. (laughs) Said serious. This is God's idea of how to start an auto parts store. I'm going to hire, I'm going to buy uniforms for people I don't, I don't have. With money I don't have. And then I'm going to interview people and the people that fit in those two size uniforms, I'm going to hire. I'm like, this is unbelievable. So I didn't, you know, I was like, of course I don't tell my team because they'll all quit thinking they're working for a maniac. So so I go to the uniform guy, and I said, hey, I need, uh, I need eight uniforms, four this size and four this size, you know, shirts and pants. And he's like, okay, what names do you want to put on the uniforms? I said, oh, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> he's like, I said, don't ask, just, just get the uniforms. So then we interview people, and I hired two parts people who, uh, who fit in those uniforms. <laughs> so now I have... Two partsmen, but I got no parts. <laughs> so I say to the Lord, Lord, you know, I need, I need like money now. Okay, so we did that. We did that little not logical thing. That was good, Lord. We got some two good guys. <laughs> we just got no parts. And the Lord's like, I want you to go get a building. I'm like, okay. I'll, okay, so I need, I need money <laughs> for the building. This is an honest argument I'm having with the Lord. Like, this, this all took, like, like, this is like a couple of months. So the Lord's like, you don't need money. You just need me. I'm like, <laughs> seriously, Lord, this isn't working. Like, I actually, he's like, it worked so far. I'm like, yeah. okay, touche, you won that one. So I go look for a building, and, you know, I have no money. So I go find this building, and it's like, it's like 300 square feet, right? It's a piece of crap, but, it's, but I, can, I can afford it. It's like 200 bucks a month. So I make a deal with the guy, and I, and I leave the building. I'm going home, and the Lord goes, I'm not going to be in that building. <laughs> that building's a piece of junk. It doesn't represent me at all. I said, well, it does represent my financial condition. And the Lord's like, no, I want you to go find a nice building. So, all right. So, anyway, the short story is that I find this building in town. It's it's a beautiful building. It's 2,000 square feet. And the landlord is one of our city fathers. He's definitely not a believer. But I've worked on his cars before, so I know him enough to, you know, take him to lunch. So, I call him, and his name's Dwayne. I say, Dwayne, hey, can we have lunch? I'm interested in leasing your building. He's like, which one? I tell him. He's like, yeah, sure. So, we have lunch. I give him this whole vision, right? I'm pretty good at casting vision. So, <laughs> casting this vision about, you know, my auto parts store and how I have these shops and da-da-da. I'm going to have this beautiful kind of synergy. And he's all great. And we're talking for like 45 minutes. And so, you know, he's, he shows me the building. And I walk through it and said, this would be perfect. It's beautiful. And so I get all done. And I said, well, there's just one little thing. And he's like, what is that? He's, I said, I have no money. <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, Valentin, what is wrong with you? I said, well, I just need you to give it to me for a year, and then I'll pay for it after that. Like, I'll, I'll pay a lease after that. I just need a year free. <laughs> he looks at me, he shakes his head, and he goes, I can't even believe I'm doing this. Okay, you can have the building 
for a year free. So I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, you're right about that. But now here's the big one. I need parts. You're like, we're talking like 80 grand, right? So like, I need parts. Like that's like minimum. You could even start a parts store for under 500 now. So um, I, I, I do some research and I find out that the largest warehouse is in Reading, which is an hour from us. And I call the, the manager up and I, I get a hold of the manager and he gives me the owner. And I'm like, hey, I have an auto parts store. I'm just starting, da-da, tell him the whole thing. I have three businesses already. He's like, that sounds great. And I'll, could I come down and talk to you about, you know, purchasing, uh, being a customer of yours? And he's like, yeah, that would be great. So I set up time. I, I, um, I, um, I, I get ready to go. And the Lord said, take uh, your gold watch that your father-in-law gave you with you. I'm like, what am I going to do with that? He just said, just take it with you. I'm like, okay, some kind of prophetic act. So I go down, and I sit with these guys for an hour. It's the manager and the owner. And, the, and, and they are definitely not Christians. Like, there are F words, like, going on. And the owner has no personality. Well, he has one, but it, he forgot it somewhere. And it's like, now I have tons of anxiety. I don't know this guy. He doesn't, he's not friendly. And, I, and so I'm sharing. I'm like, okay, okay, let's go. Let's share the vision with him. You know, get him pregnant with vision. <laughs> so I share my whole story with him. Hey, I have three auto parts store. And I have this beautiful um, store now. Three auto, I mean, sorry, three auto repair shops. And I have this beautiful store. And I got two guys in uniform. And I have pictures of him. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's really, you know. He's like, that, that's good. That's good. So, you know, I need some auto parts, da-da-da. He's asking me all kinds of questions. And we're like, this is at least an hour-long conversation with the manager. So he's like, let's do it. So I go, okay, well, there's only one problem. <laughs> no, I didn't say it was a problem. I said, well, this, the only challenge I have is I have no money. <laughs> and he goes, he stands up, and he goes, what the F are you saying? <laughs> I said, well, I have no money. And he goes, what the F? Why are you wasting my time? I go, but I got a gold watch. <laughs> and I pull this gold pocket watch out of my, like, this is, you want to talk about feeling like an idiot. I pull this gold watch out of my pocket, and I said, this is my father-in-law's, like, this is a family, you know, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, and I, I said, I would never want to lose this watch, so you can keep this till I pay off the auto parts. And he's like, gets up and walks off. And he's like, you know, like, get out of here. So I'm driving home, and I'm like, Lord, that was the stupidest plan. <laughs> like, Lord, you looked really stupid. <laughs> I get home. You know, you had these situations where you really felt the Lord told you something, and then it just went really bad, right? And for two days, I'm like, that was so good. I can just, I could blush just telling the story. Like, how stupid did I feel? And, and then the uh, second day, I think it was the second day, or maybe the third day, I get a phone call. And I, I pick up the phone. One of the guys did. Hey, it's for you. I'm like, oh, hello? Hey, this is Brent from Shaft Warehouse. Yeah? I'm coming up there. See what you got going. Okay. I hang up the phone. I can't believe he's coming up here. <laughs> he comes up. He looks, I take him a tour of my shops. My guys are all dressed up. We got the shop really clean. I'm like, you guys got one hour to clean this shop like you've never seen it clean before. <laughs> I take him, he comes with the man, his manager. 
I take him over to my store. He's looking around. He's just a really pessimistic person. He's walking around the store. He's a great big guy. He's like, what are you going to do for shelving? <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that yet. <laughs> Seemed like a minor issue compared to what I was dealing with. I said, oh, I haven't figured that out yet. Well, what are you going to do for counters? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm feeling lower and lower. Like, I'm a little mouse now. I don't know. I'm so sorry. And he looks at me and he goes, I can't even believe I'm effing doing this. And, and I, I, I pull out the watch again. I go, I got the watch. He did have a little grin on his face when I said it the second time. He said, I'll give you all the shelving. You can have it for free. I'll give you counters. You can have them for free. I'll give you the inventory. Yes, I'll take the watch for collateral. And you have three years to pay it off. And I opened an auto parts store. And there was some big apologizing going on with the Lord. <laughs> I was apologizing to him. I'm like, this was a really good plan. You actually don't need money. Just need to believe God. And uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, like the Lord's like, I want you to get back to the crazy faith you had when you believed that nothing was impossible. I want you to get back to there. I want you to live like you actually believe I provide for you. I want you to move out of logic and reason, and I want you to move into unreasonable faith. And uh, there's a... In Matthew chapter 9, what time am I supposed to be done? No, I mean, there's a real time. I just don't see a countdown. Huh? 12 o'clock. Okay, great. I got 20 minutes. So, um, in Matthew chapter 28, there's a blind man that comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, Can you, are you able to heal me? And Jesus said this. Uh, he says, then he touched his eyes. Jesus is touching his eyes. And he says, it shall be done according to your faith. So the guy goes, can you heal me? And Jesus goes, how much faith do you got? And, and I, I wrote this. What if the primary component to our destiny isn't education or skill or experience or capacity or capability or even calling? What if it's faith? What if we are spending our lives waiting for the ultimate opportunity, but God is waiting for us to believe what he already said about us? Here's the last one. What if your faith is responsible for your current reality? And your daily life is unfolding in the visible realm according to the invisible expectations of your own heart. What if you're waiting for something to happen? God's waiting for you to believe. <laughs> okay. Okay. It, it doesn't get better. Like, that was the best point of the whole message. <laughs> what if you're complaining about your situation and you're like, what, Lord, this needs to change. And God's like, listen, actually your life is actually the life you don't like is according to your faith. Like, this is what you have faith for. And you're like, you're blaming me for my situation. I, I am. I, I'm not. He is. I, I'm not saying it in a shameful way. I hope you can feel that. I'm saying, what if all you need to do is actually shift your perspective and start trusting him? So I'm not like, Saying it in a way like, you shameful person, you're living under... Be and I'm saying it like, what if 
the level of faith you have right now is responsible for the life you're not loving. And what you need to do to shift it is to grow your faith. Are you with me? So I'm not saying it in a shameful way. I'm saying it in a hopeful way. Like, you could shift your reality by trusting him in, a, in an area, me too, that you haven't before. <laughs> uh, the apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1. Um, he said that his apostleship, I'm, 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 I'm ad-libbing here, his apostleship, the goal of his apostleship was to bring about the obedience of faith. Now you remember that uh, the apostle Paul was formerly a Pharisee who was, his goal of his, of his leadership, spiritual leadership in those days, was the obedience to the law. But his apostleship, the goal of his apostleship, was not that you would obey the law, the Torah, but that you would actually obey faith. And I'm pointing out that when God gives you something to do, like when he speaks a word to you, it's not just a word like, well, that's a good word. He wants me to be a doctor, or he wants me to speak to that person. He wants me to, you know, it's like there's actually a, there's actually a responsibility that comes with faith in that we are to be responsible. We are to be obedient to the faith God has. I mean, a simple illustration is you're in the store and God goes, I want you to go tell that lady right there. Her name's Mary. She has a problem with her back and I want you to pray for her back. Obedience to faith means you go over and you go, is your name Mary? She says, no. You go, well, do you have a back problem? I mean, the point is, is that you are obeying faith. You're like, I have to obey. When the Lord gives me information, I have responsibility. I have to take responsibility for it. Does that make sense? Okay, that's a good point. Are you living beyond your means? Because faith requires us to live beyond our means, beyond our ability, to beyond our natural capacity to perform. Listen, all of us know what it's like to live beyond our means with our credit cards. <laughs> But you can't be full of faith and not live beyond your capacity. How many of you have ever prayed to do the impossible? How many of you have ever had an impossible situation arise after you prayed to do the impossible? See, when I pray to do the impossible, I mean for someone else. I'm like, Lord, I want to learn how to do the impossible. I want to learn how to walk in miracles that other people need. I don't want to need one myself. <laughs> okay, I, I have two more points, and then we should maybe probably, possibly be done. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus, verse 20, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they pass a fig tree. You know the story, and it has no fruit. And Jesus curses the fig tree because it has no fruit. By the way, it's out of season. How many know the Lord requires you to have fruit whenever he asks for it, no matter what season you're in? And then they passed the fig tree the next day, and it's all withered up and dead. In one day, it just died. And Peter's like, Lord, look at the fig tree. And he says this to him. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he has said is going to happen, it will be granted to him. I, I, I wanted to point out that faith is voice activated. That one of the reasons why we don't have miracle is because we actually don't speak it out. Because faith requires us to say it. 
My son is coming home. My wife is going to be healed. My financial problem is going to be resolved. That tree will bear fruit. I will have an auto parts store. And I'm saying that faith, that complaining is to the devil, what praise is to God. And sometimes we are talking ourselves to death. Do you remember the children of Israel circling the walls of Jericho? What was They had to circle seven times. But the other point that people don't often make is they couldn't talk for seven days. Why? Because God's like, you will talk yourself out of this miracle. Like, if you don't know what to do, shut up. If you're not believing, I'm telling, talking to me too, because I'm the worst external processor. I'm not, you can see that already. I'm externally processing with you, and you're in the congregation. I'm pointing out that at worst, if you don't believe God, at worst, don't talk about it. No, I'm saying sincerely, don't talk about it. My son's sick, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, and what if he dies? No, no, listen, you're not believing for a miracle yet, but you're making it worse. You're making it worse. Like, don't talk about it. At least wait till you find some gravity in the Spirit, and then start proclaiming what the Lord said. Do I have to do it in front of people? I don't know if you have to do it in front of people, but you have to speak it out. So prayer is partly, part of prayer is, I see the mountain and I say, you're, listen, you're freaking going to move. God said you're going to move. He didn't say freaking, though I used, I added to to the word of God. You're going to move. And I begin to proclaim to that mountain, you are moving. Think about when you shift from worry and complaining to neutral, that's good, right? Like, you've actually moved. Like, actually, you're beginning to move in faith when you stop complaining. I'm saying, we can, we can congratulate ourselves. Like, have you believed for it? No, but I stopped not believing. I stopped my unbelief, right? I, I haven't got to a place where I'm believing yet, but I'm like, I'm stopped talking about the fear I have. Listen, that's actually a graduation. And I might do that for a few days. I might do it for a few months until, okay, Lord, I'm ready to move from out of complaining I've moved out of, but now I'm ready to move in faith. And I'm going to start speaking to that mountain. Um, that's actually a good word. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul wrote, I believe, therefore I spoke. I believe, therefore I spoke. In 1 Timothy 4.6, I'm going fast right now. Paul said, nourish yourself, said to Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, nourish yourself on words of faith. So the next thing I want to say is, nourish yourself on words of faith. What does that mean? Take testimonies, things that God has done before. You want this auto parts store, you want this person healed, you want, and fill yourself, fill your, your heart and mind with testimonies of things that you thought wouldn't work, but he worked out. They can be, you can borrow them from other people. Right? Because the testimony of Jesus, what God did for you, is the spirit of prophecy. He'll do it for me. So if I don't have many of my own, let's say in that area, let's say I'm sick, I'm like, I've never had a healing, I can borrow Joe's healing. Say, all right, I know Joe, I walked with him, he had cancer, whatever, da-da-da, supernaturally healed him, and I can start, I'm nourishing myself, not on words of doubt, I'm not surrounding myself with doubters. Some of you need to ditch your friends. Some of you have really good friends that are bad. 
I don't know, you're waiting for me to fix it. But what if I don't? I'm saying you should love everybody, but who influences you matters a lot. Jesus was very, he wasn't shy about putting nine disciples out when he wanted to do a big miracle. His own disciples. He's like, uh, Peter, James, and John, come with me. The rest of you. (laughs) Thomas. I love you, Tom, but you got a ways to grow. Mount Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. They come down from the mountain, right? After the Transfiguration, nine disciples left. What are they doing? Trying to cast out one demon out of a kid. Jesus walks up, casts them out. Mm. Kind of like, I, be, I eat these for breakfast. Nine disciples running after him. Remember, they already got rejected because Jesus took only three disciples up in the Mount Transfiguration. Same nine got behind. Same nine. Same nine always left behind. I don't know what my friends are going to do. They're going to be left behind. They're going to feel rejected. Jesus don't seem to care. Leaves the same nine. They didn't rotate. Can you, are you even getting my point? And, you, and, then, you know, and then they come down. And Jesus, they, the three disciples have had the most amazing experience they've ever had in their life. In fact, Jesus said, don't even talk about this until after my resurrection. So there's a story they couldn't even tell. And they come down, and the nine guys have had the biggest failure they've ever had. And I can imagine the three are like, that's why Jesus didn't let you come with us. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but... Oh, gosh. I have two more points. The spies in um, Israel, Moses sends out 12 spies. You know the story. Check out the land. He didn't say, see if we should go. He just said, figure out where to go up. Where's the best place to go up? And by the way, bring some fruit. So they come back, and you know the story. Ten spies given a report that's not good. They go, oh, the land's amazing, it's beautiful, just like everything you said, except for there's giants there. And they're everywhere. Like, there's giants everywhere. Everywhere. And they make this statement, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. I wrote this, facts will never satisfy a fearful heart. You can't reason a spirit of fear out of a faithless person. You can only cast it out. People who analyze things until they are paralyzed aren't looking for ways to win, but are searching for reasons to justify their unbelief. Unbelief grows in inaction. Inaction anesthetizes courage and rocks radical faith to sleep. Fear often masquerades as wisdom, but it's a homeless coward, unwilling to live in the shelter of the responsibility and perseverance. But truth But the truth is that faith in God, bathed in courage and propelled by perseverance, will ultimately yield divine favor and supernatural success. So Joshua, I'm sorry, so Moses falls to the ground, weeping. And when he goes down, Aaron goes with him. Aaron's like, all right, guess that's what we're doing. And they're on the ground. And Caleb and Joshua stay standing. And they go, hey. I love, I love what, uh, it doesn't say which one of them said it. They said, we saw the land, it's flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord 
and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. That, that phrase is our daily bread. This is the phrase where we pray, give us this today our daily bread. That's the Hebrew for give us. They, jo, Caleb or Joshua said, don't fear the people. They shall be to us our daily bread. <laughs> we shall eat them for breakfast. Caleb's like, what are you guys on the, listen, they shall be to us our daily bread. We will beat them. What's interesting, as you know, they didn't go into the promised land. And, if, and what the Israelites feared, the giants, they never encountered for 370 years. And then a 15-year-old kid killed them with a rock. You didn't get what I just said. You said, well, Caleb, uh, he encountered the giants. He encountered the Amalekites, who the giants came from. But there's not one recorded battle that Caleb had with the giant. I'm not saying he didn't have them. I'm saying you can't find a battle that Caleb had with the giants. So the only battle we know of that happened after they entered the promised land is when David killed Goliath with a rock at 15. And what kept them out of the land, they never even encountered for 370 years. Am I talking to you or not? Like what you're afraid of, you likely not even encounter. And then if you do, your kid will probably kill it. <laughs> this is such good preaching. Jesus is the author and protect and perfecter of faith. Faith creates alternative ends to my personal documentary. He rewrites the final frame of my happy ever after script. Faith rewrites your history. Listen, faith causes you to live future present instead of past present. You're like, I can't do that. I was a drug addict. I, I've been married three times. I, I, you know, I was an adulterer. I was a whatever. And the Lord's like, I don't remember that. And he begins to speak to you, not as you were, but as you are. Uh, okay, I have one more main point. In James, James goes on to say, you have faith, I have works. And he says to all of the faith crowd, faith without works is dead. So he goes on. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. In fact, he goes on to say that faith without works is as dead as a body with no spirit. And I'd like to point out that faith is catalyzed through action. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing to let you think about what I said. Faith is catalyzed through action. I, I, when I was a kid uh, in high school, I, used, um, I took a class on how to work with resin. You know what resin is? Well, like half the things in your, no, a, a third of the things in your car are made out of resin. And resin is, so our, our teacher said, you know, told us what to buy and where to buy it. So we went to this paint store, really. And I said, I need, I need a gallon of resin. So he gives me a gallon of resin. And I'm like, okay, I need the catalyst for the resin. I, I've never worked with resin before. I've never seen anybody work with resin before. So I had no knowledge. And he gives me this little bottle, two-ounce bottle. And I'm like, I thought, I thought he made a mistake. I'm like, no, I need enough catalyst for this gallon of resin. He said, sir, that is enough catalyst. Let me just tell you that you're going to put a few drops of catalyst in a bowl of resin. I'm like, okay. So then we, went, you know, we get to class and we learn how to use resin. And I realized very quickly if you put too much catalyst in it, it gets hot and cracks. If you don't put enough catalyst in it, 
it stays like sticky. Like, have you ever been to a restaurant with a table that are resined and they're sticky? No matter how much they wipe them, because there wasn't enough catalyst, it didn't fully dry. What I'm getting at is that we're the catalyst. God's the resin. Without us, it's just goo. Without works, your faith is just goo. Like God's got it. You can't do it without him, and it's mostly about him. But if you don't take action, it just remains goo. Are you with me? Like the Lord, go back to my example. Order uniforms for guys you don't have. I could pray about it. I could declare it. But how many know, I'm not getting an auto parts store until I order uniforms. Like, I have to take a step of faith. Okay, I want you to go get a building. I can pray about it. I can declare it. By the way, I, I should declare it. I should pray about it. But I'm actually not going to get a building until I knock on doors and go, can I, can I rent your building for free? <laughs> I, I'm pointing out, I, I'm almost done. I'm pointing out that some of us are waiting for God to do something else, but he told us what he wanted for us. He said, do this. Some of you have wayward son. You haven't seen him in years. And you're like, what do I do? What's your son's favorite meal? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Make it and freeze it. Like, do something that says, my son's coming home. Paint his room. Put welcome home on it. I, I, I'm, listen, I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm using analogies to say, do something besides pray. Do something besides go, I believe. If you believe, you'll take action. <laughs> well, I believe that, you know, uh, my, my, uh, you know, I have an strained relationship with somebody. It's like, call them. Oh, no, they aren't going to want to talk to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter they don't want to talk to you. You're calling them by faith. You are, you, are, you are bringing the two drops of resin you need to see something happen. Well, what if they say, I never want, what if they reject me? <laughs> you already rejected you. <laughs> like, just think through this. Now we can use logic. You already have no relationship. It likely couldn't get worse. <laughs> Unless you're stupid and do something worse. Just wanted to call you, tell you this is all your fault. Love to reconcile with you. Like, <laughs> probably you're not going to do that. Probably you're going to have some kind, gentle, loving words like, hey, I don't know, what's going on between us is bad. Like, whatever our differences is, your relationship with me, my relationship with you, so much more important than our division. Can we, can we have lunch? Can we talk about it? I, I don't know why I'm even giving you this example, but probably meaningful for someone. My point is, faith is activated through works. It's activated through words. It's activated through prayer. And it's activated through the silence of stop complaining. Are you following me? And I believe that God's called us to do the deeds we did at first. Some of you have been Christians so long, you don't even remember what happened when you were radical. We were so radical, we didn't let Santa Claus in our house. If our parents or grandparents sent our kids Santa Claus cards, we trashed them. I'm not kidding. But the Easter Bunny, we shoot that sucker. We could not mention the Easter Bunny on Easter in our, like, we were radicals. I, I hear some uh, Christian singers, famous singers, talking about, well, my parents wouldn't let us celebrate the Easter Bunny. And I'm like, that was us. <laughs> we didn't beat our children. We loved them. 
We loved the hell right out of our children every time it got in them. But we were radicals, and we were not ashamed of it. We broke all of our secular records. I didn't listen to secular music for 15 years. I kind of like the Beatles now, you know, and I got it back a little bit. But my point is, is that something happens when you fall in love with Jesus, and you're like, you forsake all other lovers, you forsake all other help, and you're like, I'm, Lord, if you can't do it, it's not going to get done. Because I will live for you only. And there will be no other lovers in my life besides the lovers you allow me to love, like my own wife. There will be no one competing with your voice. There will be no logic and reason, no professor, no politician, no teacher, no pastor who can compete with the voice that you told me. What you told me to do, I will do that at all costs. And I'd like to use Esther's words to finish. And if I die, I die. But I will trust you to the end, to my last day. Would you stand, please? I have this uh, prophetic word for the church. I'll share it really quickly. It'll just take me a minute. When we were in worshiping, by the way, worship is incredible. It's incredible. Uh, that's, uh, the, I mean, the quality of the music was incredible, but, but quality of music isn't always worship. But the anointing that was on the team, that was flowing through the body, I mean, I probably don't have to tell you, was like, I mean, I hear great worship. That was amazing. And during worship, I heard this uh, phrase, uh, reinforcements are coming. Reinfor- it's just this phrase, reinforcements are coming. So I, I am prophesying right now that reinforcements are coming. Yes. That there are people coming to bring a renaissance to this community. And this church is moving from revival to reformation to renaissance. I shared this last night, but revival to, to reformation to renaissance. Renaissance is about beauty, splendor, about glory. And Isaiah 60 says, and the glory of the Lord shall rise upon you. So it's beyond just nice. It's amazing. And there are people that are carrying glory reinforcements in different areas, new areas even, that are coming to join this community because the Lord is decreed that this will be a place of glory. So I bless that you, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, for the favor of the Lord to be on, this, on, this, on these leaders and on this church and on this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to me. God bless. Go ahead and be seated, please. Listen, we need to respond to that prophetic word that was just given to us. Yeah? If you receive that word and say, Lord, let it be so, just say amen. Amen. Yeah, we do receive that word, the word of the prophet, been spoken into this house. Now we get an opportunity to bless the man, the ministry, and the mission. Uh, In our time of blessing uh, Kathy and Chris, in very special 
wonderful way. So if you'll get ready to give, I have such confidence in this house. I am so excited with what God is doing through all of you as he's meeting not only our need, he's, he's starting to build into the dreams again of this house. And we know that that's, that's happening in your lives too. This is the, the most exciting thing for me to where we're at right now as a house financially where we have our challenges is to now see in your life God work tremendous miracles, to work tremendous things in your finances as you've been faithful over these weeks to respond to what the Lord has said. What Paul said to the Macedonian churches, he said they first presented themselves to the Lord and then they gave to the need. And you've done that. I thank you so much. But now we want to bless. This is a moment of blessing and honoring those that came in the house, the gift that God has given. So are you, are you ready? You know how to give. All the, the things are up there. Uh, if you give by your phone or by Internet, would you? I don't have mine with me. Can you, can you hand me my phone, please? This is how we give. We give. It's regularly scheduled, and then we give by phone for special things like this. And if that's you, you're doing that, I'm going to have everybody stand again. Go ahead and stand as we get ready to give. And I want you to, I want you to hold up your phone if this is how you give. If you give online, do it all that, that's great. Because, because this is what you're presenting. I think this is the one thing that I, I, I'm a little disappointed about the way we, we do things now. It's just, it's okay. But I used to be able to write that check. You know, and, and hand it in and put it in an envelope. And there was something about that, that exercise of faith. And now it's in here and it's okay, but I want you to know that this is still an exercise of faith, right? As we give. Maybe you're giving by uh, writing a check or you're or giving some other way. But just right now, present that way to the Lord as your expression of faith. Because this, this is deposited into soil that is going to produce fruit. But we know from Scripture that as we deposit seed in the soil for that ministry, and it's multiplied in that ministry, we also know that he gives seed to the sower and bread to eat. He takes care of our needs. Is that true? Yeah, come on, guys. Come on. It's true. You know it's true. You know it's true. We have evidence that it's true over and over and over again. So let's just be generous in that. So, Father, thank you. We, we extend that means by which we give to you and say this is our act of faith. This is our act of expression of investing in the man, the message, and the ministry that you've brought into our house today. That great fruit will be produced wherever he goes, wherever she goes. The great fruit will, will be deposited in the places of ministry that they're a part of. And Lord, we invest in the message that's been given to us today. That it become our message. That it become our word that produces fruit in the house. And we do that now through our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. They're going to pass around bags, I believe. That's that's right. Yeah. Uh, they'll both be back there and signing books this morning. Please take advantage of that. You also can go into the store and take advantage of the things that are in the, the mission store. But we got, You got some given music? We're ready. We're ready to you're go. Ready. You're, you're ready. You're ready. Hey, listen, wasn't it great? 
Wasn't it great this morning? And wasn't it good to have Katie back already? I told her this morning, it's going to be a long commute for her. Flying back and forth from Chicago every week to be with us. Aren't you glad she's going to do that? Yeah, right. It is good to have her back in the house, even if it's just... No, never mind. Let's do it. You all want to stand up to worship. <laughs> in the house this morning too. We miss her so much. We're thankful for what she's doing out in Southern California, but we do really miss you. Sarah, it's so good to see you. God bless you. Now, uh, ministry team, if you'll come forward, if you would like prayer this morning for anything in, on your heart, in your family, in your situations, there's some people that really love you and want to uh, minister to you and just agree with you in prayer. So you're welcome to come. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.